welcome to Bonnet to Dawn, the podcast that explores the lives and works of 18th, 19th, and 20th century women writers. I am your host, Lauren Burr. And I am your host, Hannah Chapman. And this week, we won't be discussing the life or work of any 18th, 19th, or 20th century women writers, will we, Lauren? Uh, no. No, because this week, we are talking about our favorite reads of 2019, which has uh, now become an annual tradition. I think we've done this three times now. But there's a, there is a flaw in your logic because this is, you know, not talking about the works of 18th, 19th or 20th century writers. What if that was someone's favorite book? That's true. It's just getting a passing mention. Just a pass. We're not, a, it's not a deep dive like we normally do though. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's some dudes that are going to come up today as well. So warning. Oh, yeah. Warning. Uh, Content warning. uh, (laughs) Male writers will be mentioned. Right. So I put a call out on social media for the best book you guys have read all year. And wow, you really responded. This is always one of our most popular threads, though. We have an intense list, so I'm just going to jump right in and say that Rebecca H got first comment and said... I know I'm probably late to the party, but I only just discovered Mill on the Floss this year and it gave me so many feelings. Definitely my favourite book this year. Philip is my new book boyfriend. Tied for a close second are The Testaments by Margaret Atwood and Circe by Madeline Miller. See, Lauren, I told you. I'm right. 18th, 19th and 20th century books have appeared. First comment. I'm right. right. Um, that Cersei by Madeline Miller. Oh my gosh. I think last year everyone was telling us to read it. I still haven't read it. And then this year we have at least 1 million more comments of people telling us to read this book. So, um, guys, if you haven't read it, read it because the bonnets overwhelmingly love that book. And I really have to check it out. So Esther recommends My Sister the Serial Killer by Oikinen Braithwaite. Um, I actually purchased this book earlier this year. Love the cover. And I purchased it for a friend and I debated on whether or not to read it before I actually gave it to them. I ended up not having time. But is that rude? Do you think? I don't know. Um, No. So, OK, two things. I gave my granddad a comic book for his birthday last weekend and I totally read it before I gave it to him. And then uh, also I bought my friend a massive mug for a birthday like maybe four years ago and it said The Boss on it Mm -hmm. and it's huge. It holds like a pint of tea and I kept it and I regularly drink from it and think about (laughs) how I bought it as a gift for someone. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still in my house and I use it all the time. Okay. So really, I think I deserved it. Wow. Just didn't just didn't give it to them at all. No. Was that person me? Okay. <laughs> I didn't give them any present, in fact. <laughs> but I still went to their birthday party. <laughs> now, um, yeah, I don't know. I ooh, guys, weigh in. Maybe I'll have a Twitter poll on this one, but I think it's probably fine if you don't like crease the pages or make any notes or just I think it's fine. I don't want to hear any opinions about the mug. No, not the mug, the book. 
I think my mum always used to read books before she gave them to me, but she'd lie about it and she'd be like, oh, I got you this book. And I'd look at her and I'd say, mum, did you read this book? Mm -hmm. And she'd say, no, of course, sweetheart, it's your present. You should read it first. And then the minute I'd finish it, she'd say, what do you think? And then I'd give her my opinion and then she'd say, oh, good, because I thought, and then she would tell me and then admit to reading the book because she can read books without cracking the spine. Okay. I think but I'm a cracker. I crack them right open. I love highlighting and... um spilling tea on books as well really good at that Mm -hmm. i like to write in like pen in mine and another recommendation was from valentina she loved we have always lived in the castle by shirley jackson which is definitely one of my favorite books and it is absolutely a team bronte book well, it's funny you should say that because there have been quite a few recommendations of team austin including so many votes for Unmarriageable by Sonia Kamal, which is a retelling of Pride and Prejudice set in Pakistan. We've definitely talked about it on the show. Mm-hmm. Pride by Abby Zaboy, again, uh, mentioned it so many times this year. A Pride and Prejudice retelling set in Brooklyn. And Alison H recommended Perception by Terry Fleming and said... It's the story of Kitty and Mary after they get left behind. Not sure I agree with her portrayal of Mary, but I did enjoy it very much. And the writer even managed a couple of quips by Mr. Bennett that could have come from Jane Austen herself. Hmm. Now, proving that bonnets have the best taste, some of my favorite books made it to the list this year, including To Say Nothing of the Dog by Connie Willis. um, Who is lovely and one of my friends actually recently met her and said she was wonderful. So... Not only is she a good author, but she's a good person and continue buying her books, guys. Um, <laughs> Fingersmith by Sarah Waters, one of my all-time favorite writers. And Possession by A.S. Byatt. Hannah, have you seen the movie with Gwyneth Paltrow? Do you know who Gwyneth Paltrow is? Maybe we should cover Goop. that first. Okay, okay. Goop. Yeah. Uh, she was married to the Coldplay man. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in Shallow Hal. Mm, great, great. Film. Wow. The, yeah, the uh, first the, pull for Gwyneth Paltrow there. Wow. In the uh, the little like extra bit on the DVD of Shallow Hal, she explains that people used to treat her differently when she walked around in the fat suit, and it was a real revelation for mm, her. It would be. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Is Gwyneth? <laughs> her child's called Apple. Yeah. Oh, and she had a conscious uncoupling. These are the things. I know that she likes to stick jade eggs up her vagina. That's true. And vaginal steaming, that's the thing mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. she likes to do. Or there is not a single doctor that agrees with that. Um, that will actually come up later in the show. I got a note for that. Anyway. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Moving on. There is actually... Oh, she was in Emma. She was in yes! Emma. <laughs> So there is a book that I'm going to be packing in my suitcase for you when we hang out next week, which is crazy. I can't believe it's going to be next week. And that is going to be The Discovery of Jean Beret, a story of science, high seas, and the first woman to circumnavigate the globe. This feels like a very Hannah book to me um, because that book is about an 18th century woman who goes undercover as a dude to sneak onto a ship he goes on an expedition around the globe and she's like looking for rare plants and medicines and spices so it's like botany and ships and adventure i think that's all you yeah you know 
I think that HMS Acasta people should let me be a woman pretending to be a man in the Navy at the next Jasna thing. I think you should absolutely do that. Right? Yes. Guys. With my little, I can have a little ponytail. Yes. Because men had those. Go for it. Please do your Jean Beret cosplay next year at the Kentucky Festival. (laughs) I'm gonna. I'm all for it. Um, That will actually be perfect because the writer of this book was our friend, Dr. Glennis Ridley, who um, is usually at the Kentucky Festival. So yeah. She can sign my lapel. Yes, absolutely. It'd be perfect. (laughs) Uh, You'll remember Glynis from our episode about Eliza Hayward and her bit in the Kentucky road trip episode. We have taped a mini interview with Glynis about her book. So I think we should give that a listen. And then when we return, we'll talk about our favorite books of the year. Sound good, Lauren? Sounds good. Um, So uh, my husband and I were going to a conference in Australia back in 2001, and the conference was actually about um, 18th century exploration, particularly exploration of the Pacific. So my husband was um, reading uh, the expedition journal kept by Louis-Antoine de Bougainville, um, and Bougainville was the commander of the projected first French circumnavigation of the globe by sea, um, leaving France in 1766, returning to France in 1769. So uh, I think I was was trying to sleep at the time, and my husband just said to me, hey, did you know that there was a woman on Bougainville's expedition? (laughs) And I said, no, because um, I knew that I mean, we, we, your listeners all know from um, persuasion that women were allowed on board British naval ships in the 18th century. Officers' wives were allowed on board um, on board ship, but the French Navy was totally different. Women were, uh, by a royal ordinance, women were prohibited from being on board French naval vessels. So I said to my husband, this is impossible. How was a woman on board ship? And he said to me, well, she was disguised as a man. Uh, So obviously I wanted to know know more. And frustratingly, he couldn't tell me more because Bougainville mentions this in a single paragraph um, in his kind of 500-page account of the voyage and then doesn't ever mention it again, which I immediately thought was very, very odd. So um, a few years later, I returned to researching this, trying to sort of find out what had actually been the been the story. Um, be, because when I learned that Jean Barret disguised herself as a man, it seemed very strange when you realized that the ship she sailed on in the expedition was the Etoile, and it was approximately 100 feet by 100 feet long by 30 feet wide, with just over 100 men split between four decks. So I was immediately thinking, how did she maintain her disguise? Did she maintain her disguise? Um, did, did anybody suspect her? And it was because I wanted to know the answers to all of these questions that I embarked on the research that became, that became the book, The Discovery of Jean Barret. My gosh, it's like, and it, it feels like there's probably a ton of research for this project. 
Like, I have to say, I really admire you. Like, as I started reading this book, I was like, oh, this is this is a lot of research back here. <laughs> well, you know, it's um, to, to start with, I'm um, I'm I'm an 18th century specialist by by um, by training. So the 18th century mm-hmm. background was the 18th century background didn't make me um didn't make me nervous what i what i had to get up to speed on was what was published about the expedition and because mm-hmm. bougainville is uh was a big national hero in france and is still very revered in france today all of the journals from the bougainville expedition have been published more than once um fairly recently mm-hmm. in in French um, in very nice editions. So uh, four men on the expedition mentioned the presence of Jeanne Barre, mentioned that she was kind of disguised as a, as a man initially. Um, so first of all, I was able to work with the published sources. Um, then I wanted to see the original archival material to check that the editors of the published sources hadn't left anything um, out. I'm very, very fortunate um, in that regard that my husband who first put me on to Jean Barre is a professor of French and uh, he also oh, perfect. He, he teaches uh, one of the things he teaches is business French so French for business mm. so he he understands about all these um, little uh, he understands about the niceties of 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 sort of exchanges and negotiating in archives he tells me that when a French archivist says no to your request the French archivist doesn't mean no. The French archivist means persuade me, persuade me that your project <laughs> is interesting. So um, John schmoozed access to the archives for me and um, schmoozed this so well that uh, with a um, with a sort of camera, I've now got um, on my electronic desktop kind of PDFs of, of images of the pages of Bougainville's journal, all the other journals from the um, from the archives. So I was able to really sort of think about those, really look at what was happening um, there. Then it was a question of bringing all of that together with, um, in, in terms of the structure of my book, The Discovery of Jean Barret, it's a question of trying to progress Jean Barret's own story, make reasonable assumptions where we don't absolutely know. Not to say mm-hmm. this is definitely how it happened, but to say this is one possible way. This is likely. This would this would get us from from A A to B. Um, mm-hmm. You've also got to provide enough of the historical context for readers, uh, because what is obvious to me and what is just a given to me as a an 18th century scholar is of course not obvious to to everybody who's just coming to the book cold so um providing the sort of socio-historical context um because this is a circumnavigation of the globe you're thinking about the geographical context because 
you reference a place. It might be uh, it might be an island. It might be you know you're, you're referencing somewhere, and you've got to give your readers enough context so they understand where it is you're talking about. And quick mental map. Everybody can say yes, I know I know where that is. Um, because Jean Barret was a botanist, because she was working as the assistant to her lover, the botanist Philibert Commerson, who was the official kind of expedition naturalist on this circumnavigation. There's a lot of natural history in the book. So I had to double check all my facts there because if you're introducing discussion of a plant species that was collected by Barre and Commerson, um, what I was saying, I, I was very conscious that it had to, it had to work, it had to, it had mm-hmm. to be right, and it had to be folded into the story. So there were all of these different, um, different um, elements uh, to to try and write. Yeah, there, there's a lot of pieces together. What I love too is that it's like, it's such an interesting story. It's got, it's just got so many elements that are. <laughs> so great about it like history women's history i mean botany which plants and like that's something i'm just recently like that's a new interest of mine like the natural world nat- natural sciences i mean i'm like it's really fascinating yes, yes i i love the i love the whole history of um history of plant collecting history of gardens mm-hmm. garden design um that's 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 the sort of interest of mine. So it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't difficult for me to to right. get um, right. to get into that. At the same time, you've got to be aware that the you know your reader mightn't necessarily be into that as much as you are. So um, you know that that's where you know I'm very lucky with uh, very lucky with a sort of great um, great editor and and agents and uh you know people who can people who can say "Mm, this isn't working do this and and sort of hopefully Mm -hmm. keep you keep you on the right track was there like something that really surprised you like during your research it could have been something about jean beret you know herself or like maybe even about like your research methods or like writing or anything like that um i think what really i i think what really surprised me when i when i was first drafting out the book was the fact that there was nothing named for Jambare. um and that seems like a weird comment to make let me just put that in in context um barre and her lover the expedition botanist philibert commerson collected over 6000 specimens in the course of the expedition um many of which ended up in the uh, natural history museum in in paris and um you know it, it's very common for um new species to be named to commemorate great people in the field there are over 70 species plants and animals that currently commemorate Commerson in the name Commersonii, but until 2012, nothing was actually named for Barre. What happened was that Commerson named a single genus um, for her in the course of the expedition, but because um, because 
they were uh, they were in the Indian Ocean at the at the time. Uh, he didn't realize that other French botanists had actually already incorporated the genus he'd identified into something else, given it a different name. And in the taxonomic record, names change anyway. Things get renamed. So the upshot of all of this was that this woman who had been the first woman to circumnavigate the globe, who had collected thousands of specimens in the course of the expedition, had nothing in the natural world commemorating her, not a single plant, not a single, not a single animal. And when, um, when my book, The Discovery of Jean Barret, came out in late 2010, I did an interview on NPR, um, and I was sort of lamenting this, the fact that nothing was named for her. And while I didn't sort of know it, one of the at the time, one of the people listening to that is a modern field biologist, um, Eric Tepe, and he tracked me down online and emailed me and said that he would he he had recently identified a new species of solanum, which is um, the genus that includes, in its widest sense, potatoes, tomatoes, um, nightshades. And he said he would love to name it in honor of Jean Barret to put this put Aww. this right. So um, so when the paperback um, version of my paperback edition of my book came out, we were able to include an afterword um, that uh, which makes it different from the hardback, um, and we were able to bring readers up to speed on the fact that we were just preparing to, well, Eric was just preparing to publish the the paper introducing Solanum berettii to the the world, this newly identified um, species of Solanum. So that paper was published um, in the online taxonomic journal Phytokees in January 2012, and it got a lot of coverage at the time. So um, Eric has said to me since that he thought when he heard my NPR interview, he thought I was sort of angling for somebody to name something after her. <laughs> and, and I admitted that I was, because coming back to your question, what's a surprised me about her story. It, it really surprised me that there was nothing that commemorated her. And I think this this is a sort of nice tie-in with Eliza Haywood and the way that a lot of women writers were written out of literary history or regarded as writing disposable things. We have somebody who was a somebody who was obviously a very sort of skilled um, botanist. Uh, working with Commissant on the Bougainville expedition. And despite the fact that lots of things, both geographical features as well as plants and animals, were named for other members of the Bougainville expedition, nothing had been named for Jean Barret. So it felt really wonderful in 2012 to see that paper um, published. Eric very kindly let me put my name on there as a, as a co-author, though the heavy lifting is absolutely all, all his. Um, and uh, it just felt it just felt great that something in the natural world would be would be named for Jean Barret. And we are back. Now, Hannah, what were your favorite reads? of 2019 did you read any books this year hang on i'm just googling the one that i liked (laughs) (laughs) 
I read, yeah, I read some books that I liked. I read loads of books I didn't like. Did you? No, I read some books that like, well, I read some comics I hated. I mm-hmm. read the worst comic I've ever read. Oh, wow. This year. What was it? I read that. I'm not going to say what it was. I hate it. I'm going to gift that to Alice maybe. Oh, I don't wow. <laughs> Amazing. But by the same publisher, um, I really, 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 I read two great, like, graphic, I don't want to say graphic novel, I don't want to give you people the wrong idea if you're not familiar with comics, it's like this beautiful mm-hmm. indie, like, the paper is beautiful, you know what I mean, Lauren, it's like, this, like, little micro Swedish publisher, it's a great book, mm-hmm. it looks, it tastes great, you could put milk on it and eat it for breakfast, uh, but the book is called Heat by... Jeanway mm-hmm. and it's about a fire demon that goes to live on a farm and it was just so oh wow quiet and so specific sweet and it was just oh it was just the perfect story mm-hmm. it was just really and there was tension and there was, it was interesting but also it was very calm it was good Sounds it good. felt like Sounds great you know and then the opposite of that was funky town by our friend matilde vangeli yeah don't know if you've read it i think also a piao book Oh, I, I think so. Um, the cover for that is gorgeous. Yeah, and it's got silver. It's got silver stuff on it. Yeah, the foil. It's, it's got foil. It's. I. Um, I saw it. Um, when she was uh talking about it online, I was like, oh, that looks expensive. It's a great looking book. Again, probably tastes lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's beautiful. Like there are some illustrations in there where I just like, I didn't even know that you could draw like that. Ah, uh, like it's so good, and the story excellent Mm -hmm. and it's sad and it's exciting and it's irreverent and it's just oh again it's um it's you know it's very like mother-daughter relationshipy and like coming of age and yeah really good and really surreal and yeah two really good comics both uh by that publisher Piao one was edited by my friend Zainab so and then the other one was made by my friend Matilde so you know just great feels about those comics Mm -hmm. and then I think my favorite books that I read this year um I really liked Mrs Gaskell and Me by mm-hmm. Nell Stevens is that her name that Nell is Stevens. yeah mm-hmm. yeah I really liked that I read half of Bleaker House but I'd taken it out from the library which is a thing I tried out at the start of this year mm-hmm. didn't care for it because uh, I didn't get to finish any of my books <laughs> and then I keep wanting to go back and reference them and they are back in the library so sad I think I'll just go back to buying them I know, right? Um, another book I took out from the library and wish I'd bought was George Eliot in Love by Brenda Maddox. Mm-hmm. Best biography I ever read. Wow, I ever. Just, I felt like, well, okay, maybe that's too much. I just really, no, you know what? It's not too much. I couldn't put that book down. Wow. I was just in. It was just written in, you know, it was exploring the life of George Eliot, but through her relationships you know first her relationship with her father and her brother and then like all of these people that she met through her life Mm -hmm. and not just like romantic relationships but her friendships and you know her a very close friendship she had with a teacher uh, from her school days and like why they fell out and it just it felt very human and I read a lot of books about George Eliot at the start of this year and no one could agree on who she was or you know was she a a kind person was she a selfish person was she fake Mm -hmm. like all of these things and all of these images just just swirling around and I just felt like this was the closest book there was to being sympathetic to her 
without necessarily putting her on like a pedestal it was just like she was a person she was like she had feelings she had interests and desires and passions and she got embroiled and it talked about like all of these weird I mean George Eliot she had some dad crushes in her time (laughs) she just loved an older man and she loved to go and find the married men and just make moon eyes at them and you know thank you Brenda for telling me about that because (laughs) honestly great book I um that's such a that's a big endorsement too because I mean anyone that listens to the show will know that we read so many biographies and um it's funny just listening to you talk about that I'm thinking about the biography that I'm reading right now um about Anne Radcliffe and pages have been dedicated to um who her great great aunt was and great uncle and you know this person's possession or this person's like profession who is like three cousins twice removed Mm -hmm. from her and I'm like oh wow I don't care at all (laughs) and it takes you away from them it takes you out of the 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 story I guess and I think that it was yeah I was just really I was really in and that was the thing one of the things I liked about Mrs. Gaskell and me Mm -hmm. right is that like we've been to Gaskell's house a few like quite a few times we've both read a lot about her we've read her work we've explored her life and so I get where the book is coming away from the fact like you know that's fine and and I I said it was one of my favorite books in the Facebook conversation and Neve pointed out that obviously it's it's not the Gaskell that she recognizes Mm -hmm. but actually for me now Stevens manages to create this woman who just feels so vitally alive and a person who is living a life and I just got it like I understood her Mm -hmm. and like I didn't agree with the portrayal of William or William and um William and Elizabeth's relationship at all but Mm -hmm. as a book loved reading it and I think if you can write a book that someone who doesn't know about Elizabeth Gaskell can go and read and be interested in and then they go to Gaskell's house or they pick up another biography about her then just do it yeah because you know elizabeth gaskell didn't give two shits about fact (laughs) so she's probably just there like clapping going yeah no she liked the story right spice up my sex life now you do that thank you (laughs) oh one more one more Mm -hmm. beatrix potter i bought her um i bought beatrix potter's uh letters great book mm-hmm. it's just you know just her letters in chronological order with like the illustrations in it uh that's a great collection love that book and also i read louisa may alcott's diary and louisa may alcott and beatrix potter you're my gals yes oh wow there you go i um yeah. i haven't read it yet but i got the uh beatrix potter like in the garden book and oh uh, yeah i haven't read that i cannot wait to read it Let's do like a rapid fire round of uh, some more recommendations. Let's just get it out. Let's just shake it off. We'll do it really quick. Sounds good. We've got some bonity classics to just shout at you. Yep. Okay. Go for it. I feel like we should alternate these and say them as fast as we can. I mean, sure. Why not? Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. The Way We Live Now by Anthony Trollope. Villa. Villa. Villette by Charlotte Bronte. Don't act like you don't know how to say it. (laughs) 
I stumbled. Shirley also came up by Charlotte Bronte. Not on the list. Next. <laughs> Georgette Hare's Venetia, which was read by Richard Armitage. Um, one of the reasons it was so good, according to Stinaline on Instagram. Wow. So that's a good recommendation. Yeah, it's I like that. very good. Um, I, I've heard nothing but great things about everything that he's read on Audible. So check that guy out. Um, so I also almost feel personally called out by these next set of books because I have them all waiting for me either in my Amazon cart or on my nightstand unread. So Literary Penguin suggested Lovely War by Julie Berry. Louise enjoyed Gia Tolentino's Trick Mirror. Leanne mentions The Five by Hallie Rubenhold. And Dominique suggested Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss. I cannot wait to read Ghost Wall. And can I just say, when I bought Ghost Wall, the guy at the wonderful small bookshop that I purchased it at was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Good book. Good book. Good book. Um, She might have an issue with men. And I was like, great. Did you? Did he? <laughs> yeah. See, that's funny because I bought a Claire. Is it Claire Cho- Chopin? Kate Chopin. Claire Chopin. Kate Chopin. Mm-hmm. Chopin. Yes. yes. I bought like a really small, I can't remember which one. I bought one of her books and I haven't gotten around to reading it yet. And the guy in the bookshop was like, yeah, you know, I read this and it just really changed my mind on women writers. Oh, and I was like, what was your opinion before, dickwad? <laughs> Fuck off. Don't talk to me. The worst. I was like, that's, you know, like, I was like, if it's small talk, terrible small talk. Terrible. If it's a line, it's a terrible line. Just sell me the book. I'll take a receipt. Right? Thank you. Good day. This guy looked like he really believed it. as he Like, he just was like, he couldn't contain it as he was selling me the book. Like, oh, yeah, wow. She might have an issue with her dad. I don't know. And I'm like, great good can't wait to read it me too dude thank (laughs) you you should put that on the staff recommendation you should all right this last book i actually i just saw the comment and i was like oh this also seems like it's um up hannah's alley i mean i want to read it as well so sarah said an appetite for violet by martine bailey takes place in the 18th century and is the memoirs of a cook ooh, in an english estate who gets wrapped up in an intrigue involving the new and very young wife of the elderly owner of the manor the cook travels through france and italy with her mistress and writes down the receipts recipes she learns along the way it's a mystery and lush historical fiction and completely satisfying Sounds well, great. okay. Hmm. Hear me out. Yeah, I think this sounds more like a Lauren book. You do. If it was a 14th century cook, <laughs> I'm in. But the eight, like, yeah, I don't. You know, 18th do I century. Care? I only care about cooks if they're like medieval cooks. Mm, I see. I see. But you love recipes. Oh my god! I feel like the minute it said recipes, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> this feels like some a book for someone who likes books about cooking, which is Lauren. Love it. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. I like books about shagging. I mean, <laughs> like, honestly. There is some shagging in this. Great. Mystery, intrigue, food, travel. That's all I need. Now, um, switching gears a little bit, I'd like to talk about our literary goals for 2020. So I have a couple that I would like to share with everyone. First up, a shared goal, you and me, 
And that is, um, I know that we've mentioned the Louisa May Alcott 5K a few times on the show before, but this year we're actually going to run it, right? Yes, we are. So this year we're going to mark the 15th anniversary of the 5K. And while the date has not been announced, it's usually mid to late September. So we'll be there. We will keep you posted on when that's actually happening. And if some of you East Coast bonnets want to join us, then do. And we could get like a little running team together in honor of Louisa May Alcott. I think that would be really fun. And I've never been to the East Coast, Lauren. I know. Ever. So I'm super excited. I mean, it goes without saying, or it should go without saying, that while we're out there, we're also going to obviously visit the house. Yeah. And maybe a few other East Coast um, literary homes as well to be determined. But number one goal, run this 5K. And I say run. I mean, I think there's going to be a mix on my end of some running and some jogging. I'm going to segue the 5K, I think. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. I've never done one. I'm assuming that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, that's totally standard practice. Now, the other thing we'd like to share with you guys because we've been getting quite a few questions on this one, our read-alongs for 2020. So, um, Hannah, do you want to go ahead and tell the people what the Team Austin read-along will be? I do. So during the month of March, we will be reading Northanger Abbey. And I'm so excited to read this book with everyone because I am definitely guilty of overlooking it in the past. I think Mm -hmm. I've read it once <laughs> Ooh, wow like at the most twice mm-hmm. I think and so it's not one that I know really well I'm everyone always comes with such good insights and knowledge yeah. and ideas when we do these read-alongs so I'm definitely excited to kind of go through it with everyone chapter by chapter and we will be posting those chapter breakdowns on the social media in February so if you're not already in the Facebook group following us on Instagram and Twitter now is the perfect time to do that the best time true story true story i feel like northanger abbey too um was sort of like haunting us in 2019 it kind of it just kept like popping up in different episodes and so um i'm really excited to sort of just break it all down you're excited for john thorpe yeah oh obviously always i mean that's why you want to read it lauren yeah john thorpe Uh, that great horse speech oh my goodness (laughs) My favorite. Um, Of course, we will be having a Team Bronte read-along as well. It is now officially Anne Bronte's Bicentenary. Woo! Happy Bicentenary, Anne Bronte. Yes, exciting. And of course, we've already read Tenant, so we will be tackling Agnes Gray. We are going to be doing this in August, so, you know, got to... Got to hold out for that for just a little bit. We will have more information early this summer, June, July, um, about the chapter breakdowns and all that good stuff. So if you can't wait until that long, obviously March is a little way away. August is a little way away. We do have a super laid back Facebook group only read long of middle March starting in January with one of our listeners, Mary Landrum, kind of running that. There will be threads in the Facebook group. You can go at your own pace. It's low pressure because this is a big boy book. It's massive. We are easing our way, easing, easing, easing our way into 2020. And it's going to be a good read long. And also for people that can access BBC Sounds, the whole book has been read on there. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Oh, I'm excited about that. I 
as you know, have not read Middlemarch, and this was one of my literary goals um, for 2020 was to, you know, tackle this book, but also tackle it in a very slow, casual fashion because I have um, so much, so much to read, so much on my nightstand, and then also so many books for the show and work. So if I dip in and out of this one, that's that's my excuse. Yeah, my excuse is that one, I said I wasn't going to read it for the show and I right. agreed to do it. And two, I said we weren't going to do a read-along. And although we're not doing an official read-along, this is still a read-along in our Facebook group. It is. So I've bowed to peer pressure on two counts. <laughs> Middle March is back in my life like a skeezy ex-boyfriend. So now, of course, we have a ton of other great content coming up for you guys this year. Special guests road trip diaries, and so much more. And if you want to see that good stuff, you're going to have to join us on the internet as we announce it, because we're going on break, so we won't be on air for a little while. And Hannah... Not for a minute. Not for a minute. Where can these people find us on the internet? If you cannot go another second without bonnets at dawn in your life, you can find us, as always, on instagram and twitter at bonnets at dawn you can email us bonnets at dawn at gmail.com and you can join the facebook group by searching bonnets at dawn and just answering the little questions to prove you're not a robot and agreeing to the rules to prove you're not an arsehole true story sounds good (laughs) it's just like i'll be nice to people that's all it is that's all it is (laughs) just just say yeah i'll be chill that's all we want that's all (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye.